Merry Christmas. Each Christmas, the church gathers to celebrate, remember, and offer thanksgiving for that glorious event that happened way out in an outpost village known as Bethlehem. It's my privilege to recapture that breathless wonder of that night and for all of us discover again how those activities play into our lives. Not that we can explain the mystery. G. Campbell Morgan said, Concerning the incarnation of God, this mystery and revelation, the uniting of God and man in a person, is at the very center of Christianity. And it is without parallel and without possibility of explanation or analogy. Important that we all remember that this baby who was born in that shabby little animal shelter, whose life was wrought with misunderstanding, slander, rejection, betrayal, and shocking violence, at this very moment, is sitting on the throne of God, commanding and controlling every molecule that exists on earth, and in the heavenly places. There is not one maverick molecule, R.C. Sproul says. He is creator God, who called everything into existence. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, and the very life that we have is a gift from him. Furthermore, it is his desire that each of us live out our lives as he did, focused on accomplishing God's plans and purposes for our life. Each person is in his plan. He and his angels are mysteriously gathered with us today. They're here with an interest in what's going on within our hearts. So I hope there's something good going on within your heart. Because they are here. So then, today each of us has been given the opportunity to glorify him in our spirit and in our mind as we allow the Holy Spirit to Illuminate us to the wonders of this once and forever happening. See if you can find yourself in this story, because it was written for us. The story is both transcendent and personal. In it, God reveals the mysteries of reality of faith that supersedes yet interplays with everyday happenings of time. Put yourself in their place as we look at each response to the incarnation of God. By the way, that word incarnation, it comes from a Latin word, to assume flesh. You see, that night, Jesus intruded on the lives of many. And that's the title, the great intruder. He made no apology for it. All of them had dreams and aspirations for this life, as we do, but they were interrupted by this infant, 
Today we will briefly look at 11 intrusions. That's two more than I tried to do a couple weeks ago. So Luke 2. Familiar story. It came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. You know, that wasn't his name. His name was Caius Octavius. He renamed himself Caesar Augustus because he, he thought he was God and he wanted worship, and that word Augustus has that thing about it. Get this. This guy wants to be worshipped as God. He was related to Julius Caesar. Remember the guy who got stabbed on the steps? And he's God? Anyway, a census was to be taken of all the inhabited earth, that is, that was there. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Sort of a spurious fact. Verse 7, let me skip. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, the motel there. Well, I want to quickly dispose of four intrusions because I don't have enough time. The first one is Caesar Augustus. The second is Quirinius. The third is the inhabited world. And the fourth is the innkeeper. What about these guys? Well, Caesar Augustus declared himself to be God after he had bludgeoned the ancient world to serve him. And then at the end, he wants wants the world to worship him. But a problem arose not too far down the line. And you know what it was? He died in AD 14. And 2,000 years later, we don't care, do we? Who cares? We don't even know the guy's name, nor do we care. He's nothing. Caesar Augustus is absolutely nothing today. The same fate for Quirinius, whoever that was. The same for Herod, Pilate, all the king's horses, and all the king's men, and all of the inhabited earth. Nobody cares. They never responded. They never responded to the good news of his birth. And they have become nothing in the eyes of God. The fourth one was the innkeeper. They were all drinking and watching a football game. Never realized what was going on down the street. That doesn't go on, does it? Just too busy with life to bother with these things or never paid attention to him. The fifth on the list was a young girl by the name of Mary. Maybe, listen to this, 13, 14, 15 years old. That's when they got married in those days. A junior high girl? I've seen three of them in my house grow up. She was sitting around dreaming about her upcoming marriage. Their marriage took a long time. She had met the equally young man of her dreams, Joe. Joe the carpenter apprentice. 
who would take her away into marital bliss. Right, girls? But, as Eric said, Luke 126, Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joel. I told you that. He was a descendant of David, and her name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was troubled. An angel appeared at her door. No other angel than the mighty Gabriel. Now, when Gabriel went to Zechariah, and Zechariah said, how can this happen? He says, I'll tell you how this can happen. I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Can you imagine what the angel who stands in the presence of God is like? But he's very tender with this little girl. He wasn't that tender with Zacharias. Do you remember what he did? He says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You're going to shut up, and you're going to be a mute until this baby's born. But he was very tender with this young lady. He greets her, Hail, favored one. The Lord is with you. And that's a very loaded greeting, isn't it? As Gabriel continued... Mary may have been thinking, uh, you know, I'm not thinking of pregnancy right now. I've got wedding plans to fuss with. And besides that, how can this happen? Well, no matter what she was thinking, she had been divinely procured and, and her plans were drastically altered for the rest of her life. That's what the great intruder does to us. He drastically, he drastically alters our plans of life. Her answer in Luke 138 is stunning. She said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. Now that's the right answer. It was a surrender of everything she had, and she didn't have very much, but she surrendered it all. That's the response, my friends. An enslavement to God's plan for her, a loyalty and a surrender of life that would be tested again and again. We see her at the cross in her mid-40s. Well, then number six is Joseph. And from Matthew 1, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Uh, can you imagine what Joseph did? Uh, Mary, excuse me, you're pregnant? 
It wasn't me. Now, how did this happen? I'll bet it was their first major fight. There are first major fights, right? That must have been difficult. Emotional pain and anger. So he decided to put her away secretly. That is, the dumper. A quiet divorce for sure. He was crushed by her infidelity. He didn't believe her story, which may have sounded like some preposterous fairy tale. Yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't some guy in town here. It was God did this to me, and it's a magnet. He didn't believe it. Most likely, Joseph, he just wanted this lovely bride to be his and live happily ever after. Like many, saying, my dream, my dream in life is to just have somebody who really cares for me and, and will be everything I've ever wanted in life. But God was saying to both of them, it's not each other, but I am everything you've ever wanted, and he still is. When he had considered putting her away, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, don't be afraid. The baby is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people. Oh, he will save his people. How about everybody else? Well, he won't save them. He'll only save his people. So there you go. That's what we got to do in this whole process of life. We got to become one of his people. That's the deal. That means everything. To become a people of Jesus. That's the plan. And he'll light that plan up for you if we'll listen for it. That's quite a quote in 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Important statement. Theus. Theus with us. Because, of course, the problem with the Jews is they knew the Messiah was coming, but they didn't realize their Messiah was God. That's a problem with a lot of people. Do you really realize that Jesus is God? And he kept her a virgin. Now that was inconvenient, don't you think? But Joseph had quickly concluded that God's agenda for him was more important than his own. Please don't miss the moral implication that comes when you embrace the incarnate one. Verse 25 is quite a statement. He kept her a virgin until she gave birth to Jesus. It's a statement of moral purity, 
and sexual restraint for young couples that are in love, that are planning their wedding? Joseph's response was to accept God's word over his own logic and follow those instructions. In a few months, just imagine the accusations and the ridicule that they went through from friends and family in Nazareth. It's like, you're getting married and she's already pregnant? You know, what kind of deal is this? At the end of her pregnancy, came the census, and it disrupted everything, everybody. What a hassle. God had disrupted the whole world in order to fulfill the prophecy of Micah 5.2. She's in like her, what, ninth month of pregnancy, and they got to walk 90 miles? That's like walking to Rochester. Now, I know this, friends. Pregnant women don't travel well. Somebody produced a donkey for her. I don't know where that came from, but whatever. 90 miles she's got to walk. Doesn't Caesar care? Absolutely not. Nobody cares. Well, the whole world was being upset. And someone has said, Jesus has been upsetting the world ever since. He'd certainly turned my world upside down 50 years ago. Well, number seven, they were a foreign exception to the nobody cares. They were astrologers living out in Iraq of all places. They didn't call it that in those days, but that's what it is today. They were guys sitting around with their star charts. They had them and were making a good living at it. But one night, some bright astronomical happening occurs, and it sends them packing on a long caravan trip to Jerusalem. I looked it up, 700 miles. And when they got there, of course, the little nativity thing is wrong. After Jesus was born, eight days, they went up to Jerusalem. He was circumcised. Then they went back to Nazareth. But when the wise men come or the astrologers come, what? They're back in Bethlehem. So you know what? I'll bet. I don't know. that I won't bet a lot. But when they were back in Nazareth with this new little baby, that the old ladies were going around, he doesn't have your eyes. Who's this baby look like? And they just got out of town and went back to Bethlehem. Man, maybe Joe had some relatives up there. But things were just didn't seem to be working out very well, I don't think. I know how people are about those things. But it's interesting that even the stars and the planets were rearranged for the birth of Christ. Countless billions of stars move at his command. And he will rearrange them again that next time he comes down. Now, these guys made an incredible journey in order to listen, offer worship, verify the heavenly activity, and provide money for their running away to Egypt. Gabriel didn't mention this. 
Here they are. Everybody's talking about them. They're up in Bethlehem again. They don't have any money. He's starting to be a carpenter. He's probably not quite there yet. It's kind of like, really? This is what happened to us? The Lord of glory is with us? And, and, and we're like this? This is it? Through the ages, though, God will use people like these astrologers who see the deal and are willing to sacrifice earthly treasure and put them at God's disposal. I've noticed it through time that people on the cutting edge of God's plan often don't have any money. Have you noticed that? Joseph and Mary didn't. Jesus didn't. Paul didn't seem to have any money. God has chosen us, you and me, to finance his work with his money that he has gives us to be in charge of while we're here. That's it. That's what he did with those gifts that they gave while they are up in the house in Bethlehem. What an intrusion. Now he wants our money. Well, <clears throat> the next intrusion is back in Luke 2. Verse 6, came about while they were there. We're back at the birth. She gave birth to her firstborn, and she wrapped him in cloth. She laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the eighth intrusion is the angels of heaven. The heavenly call must have somehow went out. And the call went like, we are gathering tonight to make an announcement down on the dark planet because our Lord will be born in to that situation. Michael was there. Gabriel was there. The seraphim were there. What an awesome thought. The summons went out to praise God. In the hills around Bethlehem, saying 17 words. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, again, with whom he is pleased. So those who he is pleased with can now live in peace. What a deal. That's what, they, that's, what, that's what heaven said. There's more. Number nine, it says the glory of the Lord was there. Now you have to give that a little bit of thought. Where do you think the father was on this night? Well, he was there. 
And the Shekinah that glows from him was there. So it wasn't the angels that were producing the Shekinah. It was God the Father who was there and was receiving the praise of the angels. And these shepherd guys. Have you ever seen a shepherd guy? We see, I see them in Africa all the time. They are a scroungy lot. You know, they live out there. They don't have any water. There's no way taking baths, and they kind of live up in the weeds. And they are, they are excited when someone comes to visit them because nobody comes to visit them. They did that night. And their response was to drop everything. The shepherd's union was after them the next day. You don't leave your animals and go into town. Only the drunks do that, right? But they did. The glory of the Father was there, that transcendent Shekinah that lights and emits from him. So the birth of Jesus, the God the Father was there, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and all of heaven's angels had turned out. The angels were praising God, and he was receiving it. He's receiving it today from us, if we will. That's what God does, you know. What a display it must have been. Who saw it? Well, not Caesar, not Quirinius, not Herod, not the heads of state, not the heads of religion in Jerusalem. He could have come to the temple, you know. He could have come down and announced himself in all the splendor and glory, but he didn't, but he will one day. The next time he comes, everyone's going to know it. But he appeared to some underpaid, laying-in-the-dirt shepherds. You know why? Well, I believe part of the reason. He loves to embrace nobodies. Now, I know that personally. Because he embraced me. A nobody. In fact, a little lower than nobody, as I remember, and I do. He loves to embrace nobodies who may have no riches and no fame, but are willing to receive the light and then walk in it the rest of their life. We didn't produce the understanding. He gave it to us, and he wants us to walk in it. How much? Everything we got. The missions of the shepherd was to encourage fellow believers. So they went over to Joe and Mary, who must have been pretty delusioned by now. It's like, are you kidding? Gabriel came to announce this, and now here we are, laying in this, whatever that situation was. Like, this is it? You haven't said that, have you? Lord, you come into my life, and this is it? This is it. I don't know where you are today, but you have a life. This is it. You're not going to get another one. Well, they, they assured the discouraged young couple 
that all heaven had turned out. The angel had given him the greatest news of all time and eternity. We too need to be reminded of what happened because our lives get awfully discouraged at times. Are you kidding? All of heaven turned out? This is one big deal, this Jesus coming to earth. Verse 11, 10 and 11. Verse 11 is the heart of the gospel. Has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior. I don't know what the shepherds were thinking, but that's the good news. So what do I need to be saved from? If you turn on TV, you'll be saved be saved from discouragement and poverty and poor health and all that, and Jesus will save you from that, but he didn't talk about that. To be saved means that there is a great danger in this world, and we need to be rescued from something that is terribly hazardous. God calls it eternal damnation. Anyone who has not received Christ is living in that state of eternal damnation. The same God who sent the Savior also sent the bad news. If you don't receive him, it's eternal damnation. And eternal is a long time. God will condemn everyone who will not surrender themselves to Jesus. It's just that simple. So he is the Savior. He is also Messiah. It says Christ, but it's the word Messiah. He is Messiah, and then the word Lord is the word God in this context. He is Savior. He is Messiah. He is God. Now that covers everybody. He is the anointed one who will provide the eternal blood sacrifice that will allow God to forgive us and provide righteousness to us. Because we don't have any. We'll never have any. It needs to be a gift. And Jesus, that baby, says this, I'll give you my righteousness, and that's how I'll let you in. And you'll gain that through faith, and I'll even give you that. That's the good news. Jesus will make another appearance at the end of the Bible and say this. Now here's what he said. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys. I have the keys to death and Hades. Well, that brings us to the last Number 11. Number 11 is you. He was born for you and me. Jesus said that anyone who hears this message can come. 
but you have to be real. You can't just know this story. You just can't realize that Jesus is God. He's got more in mind than that. He's got the culmination of all these responses. He said, you must come. And he doesn't care who he intrudes upon. He can come at the most awkward time of life. He intrudes our life with heavenly demands. And he continues to intrude our life as long as we live it. He's intruding on each of us right now. He is the great intruder, and he keeps intruding on us. He keeps challenging us. He keeps upgrading us. And he wants us to listen and heed what he says. He's got glory for us, but he wants us to glorify him now by listening, by paying attention. He demands our loyalty. He remakes our dreams. He establishes our moral conscience. He orders up our treasure and empowers our testimony. The testimony about who he is. Who you think Jesus is is going to determine how you live. He will also secure a person's heart and soul. But you must be willing to be intruded upon. It will be inconvenient. Friends and family will turn away from you. You start talking about Jesus, you're going to be like Joe and Mary in Nazareth. I believe I've lost all my friends in life from my childhood, except a few. Family, they give up on you too. You're one of those, and I've become one of those. Life is painful and shocking at times to those who carry about Jesus in another way than Mary was. We are all caring about the life of Christ. He cares how we carry him. He wants to trust us with his glory. Are you trustworthy with the glory of God? But we have this guarantee that he is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. He says, I'll get you. I'll get you to glory. And he signs it with his blood. And he wants us to change and let him intrude on every part of our life. And you'll say one day, is it worth it? You might be saying today, it's just not worth it. I'm just, it's just not working for me. But it'll be worth it one day, friends. It'll be worth it that first day that you step into heaven. You'll want to have been faithful. Trust me. Let's pray. Lord, the glory of it all transcends our thoughts even. How can this be? 
that creator God of all things, would come one day and tell us his story, tell us what he requires of us, and then allow us filthy nobodies a portion of his kingdom and glory forever. Lord, it's way too big for us. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.